Section 15 of Letters from Victorian Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner. Letters from Victorian Pioneers. Letter 15 from Reverend James Claw, Melbourne, 4th of August, 1853. My dear sir, Along with this note, I have much pleasure in forwarding a statement drawn up in answer to Your Excellency's letter of the 25th Ultimo, and I have to express my regret that I have not been able in all instances to give dates as I could have wished. Your Excellency will also perceive that the account of the occupation of the Dandenong district before I went to live in it is given only on the information of others i may not therefore be in every point correct i remain my dear sir very truly yours james claw j c latrobe esquire lieutenant governor of victoria in the beginning of august eighteen thirty eight the reverend mr claw took possession of the cattle run corhanwarrabul which was so named after the mountain that formed its north-eastern boundary but his home station was in Tirhatman, that part of the run which is adjacent to the junction of the Narwong with the Dandenong. Before that period, the more eligible portion of the country beyond him had been kept up. Mr. John Highead, he has been informed, was the first settler that crossed the Dandenong with stock, and that he was followed by O'Connor and the Riffies, and that next after him came Mr. Joseph Hawden who may be considered the first that settled in the Dandenong, as those who had preceded him had gone about eight or ten miles to the east of it. He transferred his right to the Dandenong run to Captain Loosdale, who had Mr. Alfred Langhorn for his overseer at the time Mr. Claw settled in Trahatian. Their head station was at the bridge over the creek, where the present township of Dandenong situated they had one outstation yammering and both of these were transferred to dr mccrae in 1839 shortly afterwards yammering was transferred by him to the fosters and by them to johnston and wilson and by them to mr power by whom it is still held the dandenong station was retained by dr mccrae for several years and then became the property of its present occupant mr r c walker the run which belongs at present to mr charles wedge and which is generally known by the name of the waterholes was a part of country originally occupied by mr hawden and has been since then in the possession of various owners along with dandenong on the east side towards the mountain and adjacent to emmering was the corhanwarrabul run which was occupied twelve years by mr claw and transferred by him to mr bailby its present owner in 1840, he formed an outstation close to the base of Cohenwarrabul on one of three rivulets which fall into a swamp, and which, on issuing from it, at its southwest extremity, compose the Narwong Creek. These on the side next the mountain always continue to run, however hot or long the dry season may be. But in general, for two or three months after the 1st of January, the Narwong ceases to run, the water from the mountain being evaporated and lost in the swamp where it has no channel and is spread out over a large surface among long grass and rushes in dry summers the dandenong 
along its whole course also ceases to run for one two or three months and like many other creeks in australia it spreads out ere it reaches the sea into a swamp where a great portion of its water is lost and evaporated in the way that has just been described throughout the period of mr claw's residence in tirhatian his family was very frequently visited by the aborigines belonging to the yarra yarra and western port tribes they often encamped near his house they were uniformly treated with kindness and in return they always conducted themselves peaceably and honestly while encamped on the melbourne side of the dandenong till a bridge was made for crossing the cattle and dray his party was visited by a number of blacks but the day after he crossed about half a mile from his tents an old man was found alone beside a crab hole in which was a little water but he was without food and shelter he had been left there by his tribe because he had fallen from a tree and was so lame that he was incapable of accompanying them on a hunting excursion to cohenwarhable he was removed to the tents for he could not walk and was taken care of till his people returned but as they did not do so in less than a week it was difficult to conceive how he could have survived so long had he not been removed to the tents and fed for the kindness shown him he was very grateful he appeared to be the oldest member of his tribe but lived many years after that time and often referred to the occurrence which first brought him to mr claw's acquaintance but never did so without the most evident satisfaction and thankfulness not very long after tirhatian station was formed jack weatherly who was one of the finest looking and most intelligent of the natives was applied to by mrs claw in melbourne to carry some biscuits to her son as she was apprehensive that his provisions must have been expanded and as owing to the state of the country after a heavy fall of rain it seemed to be the best if not the only way she could send him a supply he readily agreed to carry four dozen of biscuits to the station a distance of seventeen miles on the very easy terms that he should have six to himself with evidently great delight he stowed away his own in his dress took up the bag containing the rest and the note which was to be delivered along with it and walked away apparently quite proud that he was trusted however a few miles before he reached Terhatian, he fell in with a hunting party and being one of the most athletic and expert of his tribe he could not resist the temptation to join in the chase but before he did so he handed over the note and biscuits to a young man with strict injunctions to take them on and deliver them immediately and accordingly they were so delivered contrary to the generally expressed opinion at the time weatherly was dispatched for it was well known that the aborigines were particularly partial to bread and biscuits and it was therefore inferred that the temptation to appropriate those which he had in charge would prove too strong for his moral courage to resist this trifling incident is a pleasing illustration of the trustworthiness of two of their aborigines and reflects favourably on the whole tribe for it is not unreasonable to suppose that there were others belonging to it who if they had been employed in the same way would have acted in a similar manner as to their honesty no instance to the contrary was ever detected by terhatian potatoes and melons were two articles of which they were very fond and were produced at the station and quite accessible but never was a single instance known of any of them being stolen by the aborigines they would not even go to a potato field 
that had been dug to look for potatoes without first asking and obtaining leave the principal annoyance resulting from their so much frequenting the run was occasioned by old murray's dogs that sable chieftain who never could be induced to adopt any part of white fellow's dress always travelled with a large pack and as necessity compelled him to train them to the principle of self-reliance for a livelihood they were very ready to hunt the cattle and if possible make some little calf their victim at the time the Tirhatian station was formed some of the natives expressed a determination to be vengeance on one of the servant men as soon as they saw him there they recognized him as one whose conduct towards some of their women before he came into mr claw's service had given them great offence he confessed that he had been to blame and asked for his discharge which was immediately given him and he was safely returned to melbourne it is probable that had they had an opportunity they would have murdered him but in doing so they would have done more than has been done by many europeans though in a more refined way like other savages they are naturally revengeful but it is to be feared that on too many occasions their atrocities have not been committed without grievous provocation the next settler on the dandenong was mr thomas napier who now resides in the parish of juta gala his run which he took up about october eighteen thirty nine lay along the western side of the creek and extended to the terhatchian bridge to scott's bridge both about a year afterwards he sold it to mr scott who died in melbourne before he went to live there but it was occupied by mrs scott and family for two or three years when they formed a small station on the other side of the creek and sold the other to a family of the name of drew it was afterwards subdivided and occupied by a number of small settlers who were principally employed in taking timber from that neighbourhood to melbourne and other places for the purposes of building and the enclosing of purchased land two brothers of the name of rook who were in the first instance sawyers on mrs scott's original run formed the station which the elder brother took holds near the sources of the dandenong the aboriginal station of nere nere warren was formed by mr assistant professor thomas and is so well known that it is unnecessary for me to give you any account of it the first settlers below the dandenong bridge and beyond the run belonging to messrs lonsdale and langhorne were mr solomon and major fraser the former had his station above the swamp through which the dandenong passes and the latter had his below it on the bay of port philip about six miles in a north-easterly direction from Tirhatchian, on the south side of the principal stream which descends from the mountain of Korhan Warhabil, and which mainly contributes to form the Nariwang Creek below the swamp, is the sheep station of Mombolu, which was first occupied by Monsieur's Kerr and Dobe. It is small and scrubby, and has passed through many hands since its formation. On the south-east of Monbali is a small cattle station of well-will rock, originally formed and still possessed by Mr. Farquhar and his family. About the month of January 1850, during one night and a part of the succeeding day, an unusual noise, somewhat resembling that of a bush fire at a distance, was heard at Turhatchian, and at a night station about three miles off, situated near the gap in the ranges 
behind nere nere warren at the former place it was heard by mrs claw and others living there she rose in the night-time and looked out to see if any of the huts was on fire and during the day she went repeatedly into the veranda in front of the house to listen and as the noise seemed to come from the rises on the west side of the creek she sent two persons as far as the bridge with a view to ascertain what it was on their return they said they could not tell but that when they were at the bridge the noise seemed to be at the house the overseer happened to come and she spoke of it to him but he said that he had not noticed any unusual sound neither did he then perceive any he was in a hurry and went off immediately but happening to go to an outstation at the mountain gap he was asked by the two men there both of whom had resided in the colony only a short time and were therefore perhaps more liable to be easily alarmed whether the fire was coming that way he said he did not know of any fire they told him that they had not slept during the night for they had heard a noise as of a great fire at a distance and were afraid it was coming in that direction and that they could still discern it he was thus forcibly reminded of what he had just before heard and going a little way to arise he listened and acknowledged that he could distinctly hear a noise similar to that which had been described but could not tell what occasioned it as heard by mrs claw the noise was not always the same but rose and fell and after dying away for a little would begin again and gradually increase to some it seemed to be in the air but the prevailing impression on her mind at the time and that to which she is still inclined is that it was subterranean it will perhaps be considered corroborative of this opinion that on two previous occasions an earthquake had been distinctly heard and felt there the first was experienced in february or march eighteen forty three it occurred at midnight when the moon was full the sky cloudless and the wind still to me and others who heard it at Chirhatian, the sound was as if a light conveyance making a sharp rattling noise passed rapidly between the house and the kitchen these buildings being about eight yards apart the tremor though distinctly felt was not great but at the outstation near the base of the mountain both the shock and the noise were very considerable the two men sleeping in the hut were instantly roused and ran out to ascertain what was the matter but neither seeing nor hearing anything unusual they conjectured what had happened and as the shock was experienced in the same manner at rook's station about five miles off it would appear that it was severest along the base of the mountain the second shock was felt in eighteen forty seven at the same season of the year it occurred at four o'clock in the afternoon and was experienced at the same time in melbourne and other adjacent places those in the house of terhatchian when they felt it moving ran out in alarm not doubting for a moment what it was and a party that were out riding in the direction of the mountain heard it and were struck with the noise as an extraordinary one but instead of ascribing it to an earthquake they thought it was caused by horses galloping in the bush although the sound which has been described is not likely to have been produced by the action of wind on the forest as the weather at the time is said to have been calm and settled and although mrs claw was then and still is of opinion that it was subterranean 
yet perhaps it is possible that it was occasioned by currents of air in the atmosphere but so elevated as not to disturb any objects on the face of the country at least not in that immediate neighbourhood it had often been observed that the wind blew very partially in that locality narrow belts of the forest scarcely a quarter of a mile broad and several miles long might be seen on the run strewed with fallen branches and uprooted trees showing that a hurricane had swept along that tract whilst the forest on both sides remained uninjured and it was no uncommon thing for one to witness the top of trees bending and tossed about in wind in wild commotion though not broken down although only a narrow strip and to hear the sound thereby occasioned as then on the surface of the earth and within very circumscribed limits so at some elevation above very partial and very powerful currents of air may sweep along and if they sometimes fly with increased and sometimes with diminished speed as in a hurricane or typhoon the swelling and subsiding of the noise which was heard might be thereby occasioned no doubt it is difficult if not impossible to conceive how currents of wind in the atmosphere alone could make a noise as in order to produce it something opposing or retarding the current of air seems to be absolutely required end of section fifteen recording by chad horner